This episode was recorded a couple weeks before Easter, so keep in mind that the uh, What Are You Preaching On segment may be a little bit out of date. Alright, on to the episode. Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Well, welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And uh, welcome to the show. Uh, let us know what you're drinking. You can get a hold of us at our Facebook at Clerical Errors Podcast on Facebook. You can e- email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. And uh, let us know how you're doing. We got some email responses we'll, we'll talk about a little later. Um, one I'll note is from my mother. Nice. I read that one. Yeah, she had. She, she's a very sweet lady. Yeah, she had no idea about my <laughs> jar, pickle jar story. <laughs> that was complete news to her. So I, I can't wait till tell uh, Peter, you're uh, 45 years old, to hear the stories that come out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what are we having to drink today? Well, uh, we're actually having something that I made myself, so hopefully Ooh. it won't poison you too much. Um, All right. I have always viewed this as a theological statement, so okay. I've been trying to write it off for years, but the IRS won't let me. Um, <laughs> uh, I made uh, a mead, and a mead is a, uh, a honey-based alcohol that was very... Uh, popular and is really in in Norway and the Scandinavian countries and is really kind of coming back now, um, at least among some of the some of the hipsters and is, that sort is that, of thing. Was that originally supposed to be some sort of a fertility thing? I've heard. Well, that's that's one of the reasons why they think it was called a honeymoon. So, oh, you know, so they'd give them a month's supply of mead and say, okay, you know, or some people actually drink sake. It's <laughs> true. I mean, we we have. <laughs> Yes, the vicar. <laughs> We've learned so much <laughs> so much through this podcast. So yeah, give me a sip of that. All right. So I made this. This has been in the bottle now for about, for almost three years. Uh, 4, 18, 16 is when I bottled it. And it's kind of cool because it's even, um, uh, it's even carbonated a little in the bottle, mm-hmm. which is not what I was going for, but it's kind of a added plus. So, so I hope you enjoy it. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever, ever excuse me. Shouldn't be chewing gum. That's an error <laughs> on my part. No, I haven't even had this yet, and I'm I'm very I'm I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, some of those interesting flavors are I, I double French oaked it, so I used French oak instead of American oak. Okay, to kind of age it and kind of give sure. it some of the body. So. Oh yeah, I I can taste that. That's good and naturally carbonated too, isn't it? Right. Do you use a special kind of honey for this? Uh, this stuff uh, was actually local Iowa honey. There is a beekeeper up in Goodell, Iowa, where I can buy honey, well, 50 pounds of honey, which is a five-gallon pail, uh-huh. for 125 bucks. So it's like $2.19 a pound, which is way better than what you can buy in the in the grocery store. I must store, say, so. I've never heard you sound this much like a hipster before in, <laughs> in the entire time I've known you. Well, I am a millennial, so, <laughs> you know, we all have our we all have our blind spots, so. All right. Well, before we, we, uh, we get into the next part, um, you know, I'm always thinking what what are some ways we can get the message out uh, for a podcast, right? Okay, because we want to keep it going. And and I had one idea. Well, well, why don't we uh, make a little bit of a commercial? So, so uh, before we actually get the commercial out, I, w- I want to preview it with you to see if you have an opinion on it. All right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Men, why is it that men know less theology than their fathers and grandfathers? It's time to man up America with the Clerical Heirs Podcast. An all-natural theology booster can help you feel like the real men that made the church great. 
With this tea booster, you can feel more confident in the divine service or in Bible study. So what are you waiting for? Send your questions and comments and concerns to theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. That's theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. And fellas, she'll like the podcast too. These claims have not been verified by the CTCR of the LCMS. Please consult your pastor before using. If results are too intense, listen to a different podcast. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> How? How did you do that? that? That's awesome, man. You like that? I do. I mean, that really is J, uh, KMLJ material. So, holy buckets. Well, you know, I guess Peter doesn't fall far from the tree. Wow. I'd, wow. That, <laughs> that will get us listeners. Because, you know, those... Now the, all we need is a budget. Those boosters are all over the place, right? I figured, well... I'll do our version of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now this kind of goes with what last time when we uh, when we were drinking. So did you get it? Was your inspiration what our our, our beverage last time? <laughs> yeah, perhaps the uh, pre workout. Right. Yeah, we're really taking a manly turn in this podcast. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Do you know what? I want to hear it again. <laughs> men. <laughs> Why is it that men know less theology than their fathers and grandfathers? <laughs> It's time to man up America with the Clerical Heirs Podcast. An all-natural theology booster can help you feel like the real men that made the church great. With this tea booster, you can feel more confident in the divine service or in Bible study. So what are you waiting for? Send your questions and comments and concerns to theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. That's theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. And fellas... She'll like the podcast, too. These claims have not been verified by the CTCR of the LCMS. Please consult your pastor before using. If results are too intense, listen to a different podcast. I, when I was done, I just needed something a little at the end. I had to add the guitar riff mm-hmm. to make it just a little bit more manly. You succeeded. <laughs> Holy buckets. That was awesome, man. <laughs> so, uh, Berg, what are you preaching on? Well, this coming Sunday, Palm Sunday, uh, is uh, the, um, well, obviously the Palm Sunday. Right. So Jesus' entry into the holy city, Jerusalem, uh, the just a few days before he dies. And uh, one of the traditional readings uh, for that is the Passion According to St. Matthew. Mm-hmm. See, at my parish, we uh, have church services every day. So that way, um, people can hear all four accounts of Jesus' death. Okay. Um, so um, Matthew is on Sunday. Tuesday, you have St. Mark. On Wednesday, you have St. Luke. Mm-hmm. And then on Friday, you have the Passion according to St. John. So Okay. So that way they hear it, you know, as many times as the Holy Spirit has given it to us. So um, so the Gospel reading is obviously the Passion according to St. Matthew. And so I'm, I preach about, you know, this is the natural response of fallen man to the coming of Jesus and to his perfect obedience. They want mm-hmm. to kill him. Right. Okay? That's the response. Uh, they don't know the things that make for their peace. And uh, and so I talk about, well, are we really any different? Mm-hmm. Right? Are we really any different? And the answer is no. Whenever we don't want Jesus to be our mediator, whenever we cover him over with good works or uh, seek heaven or God in any other place other than Jesus, I mean, really, we are re-crucifying him and burying him again. And, um, and so... Um, 
you know, but this is what he comes to do. Right? Mm-hmm. He comes to die. He comes to save us from our sins. Uh, this is the reason why he comes. And he allows himself to be treated so shamefully and terribly, even today, mm-hmm. because he desires our salvation. Yeah. One time, uh, it's been a few years back, I don't, yeah, I don't really use an object lesson very often <laughs> in a sermon. Mm-hmm. I think I've done it once. And it was, uh, I pulled out uh, the cross from the old church that had the, the corpus on it. Nice. And I set it next to me. And uh, I, uh, like you said, we try to mediate our own way without Jesus. And what I did was, for the first part of the sermon, is I used all the excuses we try to come up with for our sins. And I, I say them, and how they look compared to Jesus dying, they sound so horrible. Right. You know, when we compare ourselves to other people, for example, and say, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. When you do that, mindful of the the, 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 the image of Jesus hanging there, right. it sounds just horrible. Or the when we try to whitewash our sins and say right. it's not that bad. Or I had a terrible childhood. Or it's, you know, it's 2019. I mean, get with the times, man. Right. And and all those things, they, they sound so so vacuous vacuous when you're you're confronted with with the dis, uh, with uh, the death of Jesus so vicar what does vacuous mean uh, vacuous hmm well let's see here uh vacuous it kind of sounds like vacuum so maybe it's like it uh, <laughs> it's it's hollow uh, here we go off to here a we go. good start for you vicar <laughs> it's the mead man <clears throat> having or showing a lack of thought or intelligence mindless oh Okay. <laughs> so there we go. I didn't have to say that, Vicar. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You're getting your uh, year-long tea booster this year. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to our top, top 12 list. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Uh, my Top 12 list tonight is... Uh, well, we are Easter season, right? Especially when this comes out, it'll be just after Easter. Right. And uh, and it got me thinking, you know, one thing that uh, we have, especially this time of year, is we have around the church a lot of pleasant smells. <laughs> Go on. Okay. So so we have, I have 12 of my favorite church smells. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm not going to run out of lists. You no, know that, right? you're not. I. Wow. Okay. So, I'm, for example, I've got a few that didn't make the list. Like one that didn't make the list is the new vicar smell. <laughs> Be- okay. Because the new vicar smell kind of smells like fear, kind of mixed in with U-Haul and cardboard. <laughs> is this true, vicar? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of desperation in there too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So an- another smell that did not make the list is lock-in smell. Uh, it kind of wow. is a combination of uh, B.O., pizza, and Cool Ranch Doritos. If you can imagine those smells all kind of mixed together. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this brings us to our first one. Number 12. Egg bake. Yep, yep, yep. You it's, got that. Uh, yeah. We have uh, every once in a while we'll have uh, egg bake and just the smell of egg bake kind of wafting through the air. See, my wife makes egg bake all the time, so it's kind of... So I guess our, our house does smell like church. Okay. All right. So. Well, you know, we don't really have it that much at home. Sometimes we'll make it special for, for Peter, but uh, but yeah, that's a wonderful church smell for me. Mm-hmm. Number 11. 
the smell of opening up church records. Uh, yeah, of that kind of old. Right, right. It, it's a, it's kind of an older smell, but at the same time, you you almost smell the history. You, sm- you know what I mean? It's kind of like an old, like a old forgotten tome. That, right, you know, right. You open up and you have that kind of. I'm allergic to it too, but still, I, <laughs> I, I sneeze and I smell. <laughs> and I, you know, I think of. Uh, of uh, our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Right. Uh, who helped us be who we are today. And that's actually why I like that smell. Number 10. Every church has this. The smell of coffee. <laughs> yep. That's true. It, and it, for me, it has like, it's like an association. Uh, you smell coffee and all of a sudden I just want to teach somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Yes. You smell like the... That's why I've gotten kicked out of a lot of coffee houses. <laughs> it's it's kind of like one time I uh, went to a contemporary worship service. Okay, and uh, and the bass was going. Okay, it's, and uh, I heard the bass because you hear live bass in a live band. Mm-hmm. I automatically get thirsty for beer. It's just because where do you hear live bass, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was weird. So I'm sitting in church, and all of a sudden I hear the bass going. Man, I could really use a beer. Right now. <laughs> Number nine, the smell of a tired copy machine. Yes, yes. You know, you, because it means that a lot of work's getting done. So this time of year for us, when we're recording this, we're getting ready for Holy Week. we got a lot of copies being made. And uh, to me, it actually gets me going. I smell those, the copy, the ink, the paper. Mm-hmm. and uh, I like when it's all nice and warm when oh, it comes yeah. out, you know? Oh, yeah. Number eight. Easter sunrise perfume stew. <laughs> Go on. Okay. <laughs> And and maybe since this is pre-recorded, maybe you'll 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 recognize this. But but on for some reason Easter morning, everyone dresses their nice clothes, and everyone, particularly that time, wears perfume. And you get this weird concoction of all Smells. these different perfumes, all kind of coming together and working against each other. Yeah, in your no, you know, in your nostrils. Ugh. Yeah. So this would not be your truth, right? <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Number seven, the smell of a freshly washed robe. Yeah, that's a nice one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get, I don't wash my robe often enough to know that. <laughs> I like getting mine dry cleaned. Okay, then they're just really nice and wonderful. Okay, uh, maybe after the show you can tell me where you you get that done. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, and it feels a little nicer too. You know, it's just this right. Number six. All right, this is uh, when you blow out the candles at the Christmas candlelight service. Okay, yep. You get that kind of that, that smoky, uh, waxy, and it kind of, because there are lots of candles going out there. Right. You kind of get it all at the same time, and it is this nice, nice. Uh, and then you hear these yelps of surprise and pain because their neighbor <laughs> blew a bunch of hot wax on the back of their neck. <laughs> the only time I actually came close to a fire was uh, at our Easter vigil. If you look at our altar book, mm-hmm. there's actually a, and they, there's a page in the Easter Vigil where I turned the page and the edge caught a little on fire, and there's a little burnt mark in the altar book. <laughs> the acolytes that are my age at uh, St. Paul's, they uh, started a little fire in the uh, vestry, too, when they sat back there. So <laughs> the, the marks are still there. Number five. The uh, Easter Vigil crackling fire. Out in the parking lot? Yeah, we do it uh, kind of. We've got the grassy area, right, when you, you walk out there and mm-hmm. – uh, the doors that no one uses. Right. And uh, 
it's kind of funny. The, uh, a couple elders start that fire, and it's weird. It's like all of a sudden, like all the men just start gathering around it and staring at it and talking. <laughs> it's something very communal about that fire. But you know, it's a fr- it's a really the first woody fire that we smell in the spring because it's you don't you know it's right at the beginning of spring and then right. just a wonderful smell. It gets me going for the Easter vigil service. I don't know how many other churches actually start with the fire outside. Yeah, because usually it's, I'd always, if, you know, we, we do Holy Saturday and talk about the descent into hell, but uh, I'd, I'd love to start, since we have a cemetery right outside. Oh, yeah. It'd be awesome to start in the cemetery and process in, but usually the wind is blowing like 50 miles an hour, and so all the candles would be out or whatever. Because the, the rest of the year, the church spends pro- processing towards the seminary, the <laughs> cemetery. <It's a> seminary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Number four. This is probably closer to number one on most people's lists. I like it, but it makes me sneeze a lot. The Easter lilies. Oh, right. You know, when you get all those Easter mm-hmm. lilies together, they do smell pretty good, but they make me sneeze. I've got a cousin who, uh, if there are Easter lilies in the church, can't can't go. She's allergic, like deathly allergic. Really? Yeah. So what do they do? Um, they either don't have them in the church or, you know, she sits way, way in the back, like at the entrance. She can barely get, she can barely go to the to church oh so that's tough number three the lenten meal casserole night (laughs) isn't it funny like lent is supposed to be a time of fasting and yet we eat all this food (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah it is well you're supposed to concentrate more and and half the church is worried about the meal and getting cleaned up right (laughs) but it's a wonderful smell it is number two now we're getting to number two and i have to warn you that these are weird Okay. Okay. Very weird. And uh, like the the one, the, the first one, only a pastor is going to know. And uh, and this, the, the number one uh, is something that, uh, uh, well, well, we'll get into it. But I'm going to need some support from our listeners to make sure that I'm not a weirdo. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so number two is a hearse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it has a combination of the new car smell. Right. Along with flour, mm-hmm. and like all the things associated with death, like it's <laughs> it's the new and the dead, just. But it's weird. It's smells. Am I wrong? You think I'm yeah. wrong? No, I I think it smells you, good. You go into a hearse, it just smells wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and especially the the uh, uh, the um, funeral directors around here, they keep their stuff so nice. Oh yeah. Where I grew up, the oh, it smelled like a hospital. Oh. You know. And it was really, it was really, yeah, kind of gross. So. And number one. Now, I hope people don't think I'm a weirdo by this, okay? <laughs> but it's something that for me is true. So if you think this is true, please, listeners, give me some support on this. Don't think I'm a complete weirdo on this, okay? So right in to all those things he mentioned before. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, validate him and his truth. Right, right. Because this could come across like in a Joe Biden kind of creepy way, which I have no. Okay, no okay not now. I'm really interested. Okay, I love the smell of a newborn baby. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, I'm not weird. Yeah, on that. yeah. Babies are awesome. Now I'm talking maybe two, three weeks and under. Mm-hmm. Because after that, they kind of smell they like kinda, hamsters. Yeah, they kind of lose their new baby smell. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but that I don't know what it is. They just these little worm bundles. They smell like baked bread or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, want to say a bun that just came out of the oven, but that would be insensitive. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. 
<laughs> but uh, you know, they come. You bring them the, to be baptized, and you hold a little bundle of joy. And I wind up, man, this baby smells good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vicar, do you think that's weird? No, not at all. I mean, with my two boys, it was. I love that. So okay, but they're at the hamster age. They smell like well, hamsters. Yeah. And juice. Yeah, now it's hamsters and juice and, you know, <laughs> weak old goldfish. But but when they were newborn, it was something else. Yeah. All right. If you have any ideas of what your favorite church smells are or what your least favorite church smells are, maybe that'll be my next one. <laughs> uh, let me know at feedback at clericalerrors.org. All right. I'm going to get a little more meat here if Peter... We have Berg's Boedacious Blasphemies. If you could please play the intro. Berg's Boedacious Blasphemies is the part of the show where Berg seeks to sell you ancient damned illusions by repackaging them for modern consumption. In short, Berg makes bad stuff sound bodacious. So tell me about your Boedacious Blasphemies. Well, I am going to take a little uh, different track this time. I didn't write up anything funny. Um, it's kind of neat though because your last smell ended with newborn babies, uh-huh. and that uh, new movie that um, Unplanned just came out, mm-hmm. right? And that's uh, we we would also encourage all of you to go see it. It sounds like a really amazing movie, um, uh, talking about pro life and and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, I wanted to tackle, and this was actually sent to me by a listener, um, and it was from the Atlantic. And the Atlantic wrote an article about how Barbara Bush decided she was pro-choice. Okay, so this lady was going through her memoirs and her diaries and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. as she was writing her biography, mm-hmm. and um, she came across a lot of stuff um, where Barbara Bush actually um, uh, struggled with this issue of whether she was pro-choice or pro-life um, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, wanted to read a few quotes. Um, from her diaries about what she believed about, um, you know, babies. What, you know, why she thought it was okay to kill them. Okay. Okay. Because she's, uh, you know, she's a, she was a really respected woman. I mean, the, you know, Bush Sr. and his wife were really respected conservatives, mm-hmm. right? Still are. Kind of the genteel, respected wing of the Republican Party. It, what I find interesting before you get into that is how, you know, say what you want about Trump, good or bad, he's probably been our most pro-life president we've had. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, really gone out swinging. So what did Barbara Bush think about, you know, how did she, why was she pro-choice? Why was she in favor of abortion? Okay, here's one thing she wrote. When does the soul enter the body is the number one question. Not when does life begin, as life begins in a flower or an animal with the first cell. So the question is, does life begin, soul entering the body, at conception? Or at the moment, the first, the first breath is taken. If the answer to that question is at conception, then abortion is murder. If the answer to that question is the moment the first breath is taken, then abortion is not murder. So Barbara Bush believed that the soul doesn't enter the body until the first breath is taken. Based on? <laughs> well, based on uh, the birth and death of her daughter, Robin Bush. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's what she had to say about that. Judging from the from both the birth and death of Robin Bush, I have decided that the 
that the, the almost religious experience, that thin line between birth, the first breath that she took was when the soul, the spirit, that special thing that separates man or woman from animals plus plants, entered her little body. I was conscious at her birth, and I was with her at her death, as was G.B., George Bush. An even stronger impression remains with me at, of that moment 27 years ago when she died. Of course, extreme grief, but that is softened. I vividly remember that split second, that thin line between breathing and not breathing, that complete knowledge that her soul had left and only the body remained. Okay? So, based on her uh, very emotional and traumatic experiences with her daughter, who I believe suffered from cancer, okay. um, really informed her view that the soul enters the body with the first breath and that the soul leaves the body at the last breath. One thing I found kind of interesting about the fact that she said uh, she compared, uh, you know, before the, they take the breath, for example, that uh, they're no di- because they don't have a soul, they're no different than a plant or an animal. Right. And uh, that just doesn't make sense. Well, she's taking, and it's interesting, because the word in the Hebrew, nefesh, mm-hmm. for soul is actually another word for breath, right? Mm-hmm. When the Spirit of God breathed into the first man, mm-hmm. right? And so ruach, it, right? Ru, you've got ruach, you've got uh, nefesh, mm-hmm. right? Um, in Greek, you've got pneuma, mm-hmm. which can mean wind or breath or spirit, right? And uh, so if you take that in, ex- in, an, in its extreme literal sense, well, babies really, you know, don't take their first breath until they're born, right? Because mom is breathing for them, mm-hmm. right? So in a weird way, like if you're going to be really, really like um, not biblical about it and just go by your reason, then it does, you know, in a sense, make some weird sort of sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is that... Um, you know, when she believes that the f- first breath is when the soul enters the body, that's why she believes in federally funded abortion. Because why should the rich be allowed to afford abortions and the poor not? Mm. Okay. Now, and she also said that abortion is personal between mothers, fathers, and the doctor. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that about her. Yeah. So I, you know, and I thought too that it, this was a, an interesting thing to bring up that even, you know, people that we regard as being good conservatives oftentimes don't have their worldviews, um, mm-hmm. you know, actually informed by the Bible, that they take this baggage with them, whether it be uh, traumatic emotional experiences like the death of her daughter, mm-hmm. or it could be the stuff from culture that um, kind of seeps in, right? When we go to the Bible, we shouldn't bring baggage with us, but right. rather we should jettison all that stuff and be filled up with what God says. Because that's a heart of faith, is realizing is that there is a will beyond your own. Right. That there, there is a will that goes beyond what you experience or feel, and uh, it challenges us. Otherwise, you're just making a God in your own image. Right. You're saying, well, because I experienced this, because I understand these things, um, because for her, she experienced the death of her daughter, Right. That now then says, well, well, the Bible says, well, you have your experiences, but it's they're limited. Right. You have your understanding, but it's limited. And so when we pray, your will be done, we realize that there is a will beyond our own. There's a an understanding beyond what we understand. And so when we use experiential things to inform us, especially when it's something as serious as is when is someone a person or when they are they are alive, 
and you base that just on experience, it can take you into a whole host of different different ways. Right. Now, I thought one of the more interesting things that it, this brought out for me is, you know, Barbara Bush believes that the soul enters the body with the first breath. Now, Christians will say that a person is a person at conception, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think the the more interesting question that we can deal with here is, when does God, and when and how does God create the soul? Does he create it out of nothing and then just put it in there, like slip it in there when uh, conception is happening? Mm-hmm. Or is the soul um, uh, related to the parents, right? This is the views uh, that we call creationism, that God creates uh, the soul immediately from mm-hmm. nothing, or uh, that uh, traducianism, where God actually uses the parents in order to create the soul, right? Okay. And th- so there was an interesting um, uh, discussion about this from a guy by the name of Quenstedt, right? You've mm-hmm. heard of Quenstedt before, oh, yeah. right? You know, he's kind of the last of the Lutheran Orthodox school of thought, and we'll post more about that on our page. But he actually argues that... Um, that the soul that God actually creates the soul through the parents, and uh, he uses a couple different ways of talking about this. Right, that he created from nothing Adam's soul. Eve's soul was created through propagation. Right, mm-hmm. he took the soul, he took the the rib, and from that he formed uh-huh. a woman. Um, he also uses Genesis two two. Right, that God rested and that he stopped from all of his work. Right, mm-hmm. um, and that. Uh, Adam begot a son after his own image in Genesis 5.3. And that's not just in the body, but that's also in the soul, cool. right? And I mean, here's the kind of the, the problem that a lot of these creationists run into if they believe that God creates the soul from nothing and just kind of sticks it in there. Mm-hmm. Well, either you have to say that God creates the soul perfect, mm-hmm. okay, and then he sticks it in an imperfect body, okay? So that means original sin really doesn't affect the... Soul, soul, right? Which then minimizes original sin. Or you have to say that God creates the soul imperfect, right? Which makes God the author of evil, evil. right? Mm-hmm. Which makes him unjust. And so I thought that was an interesting question about you know what people actually believe. You know, do they believe that the soul is created out of nothing and God just sticks it in there? Do they believe that God um, uh, creates the soul through the parents, right? Just as He creates the body. Right, um, and uh, one thing that I th- makes me think of that too is that that's the problem with evolution as well. Right, it, because uh, if you're dealing with a soul, if you say that we descended from animals that didn't have souls to creatures now, you know, if you say you believe in evolution, and then you also say we have a soul, well, when at one point did we stop being some sort of a animal that was almost human but didn't have a soul? Wasn't quite there yet. Didn't make. Wasn't the quite there yet. But yet there were still, there were still death. Right. All the things that w- that were brought onto this earth from the beginning, according to evolution. But at the same time, and then when all that occurred before Adam and Eve were there, before they had a soul, the whole thing kind of falls apart that way. Right. Now the Roman Catholics get around it because they say that God kind of sticks the soul in there. It's called the quickening. Right. That always has made me think of that Highlander show, right? I haven't like, seen it. Really? From the 80s? Like, the, with all the good Queen music? No, like, I haven't seen it. Real, Sean Connery? Dude. Am I missing oh out? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's like an 80s classic. And then there was a, a whole TV show back in the 90s. Never mind. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Epic fail, man. Epic fail. 
never mind. So anyways, the Roman Catholics believe that the soul is actually added like when the kid is six months old or whatever. Okay. And it's called the, the quickening, at least from Thomas Aquinas. So I didn't do a lot of research into that, but, you know. So, uh... So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> does that mean, like, abortions up until the sixth month then, you know? Right. If they don't have, if they don't have souls? Well, you know what I'm... So, what I... so that's the whole thing, is, like, what you teach actually does impact how you live. Right. Right? That what you believe does influence how you live. Barbara Bush was pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. She believed that the child didn't have a soul until they took their first breath. Therefore, she was in favor of federally funded abortions. Okay. And you know? So, and that's really the, the whole point here, right? And it actually it kind of dovetails because you kind of did news that bothers Berg for me already. Can I just, I'll just mention uh, what my story was because it kind of dovetails. Oh, really? This. Wow. We are really simpatico tonight. That's right. So it's that theology booster thing. Indeed. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, it was a, it's a story about here in Iowa where uh, now people might think, well, this is just crazy because, of course, everyone isn't for this, and I'm not for it, but but I actually talked to, they had Pastor Day on the Hill where I got to meet with some of the state senators and the state state legislators. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, is being discussed is uh, animal cruelty. Okay. Okay. None of us are for animal cruelty, right? Right. But, but uh, this is saying that this law would say that after one event of animal cruelty, that that would be a Class D felony. What? Really? Yeah, and, and both Republicans and Democrats are for this because you don't want to be the guy who says, or, or uh, the woman who says, you know, I've, I've yeah, voted against animal cruelty. Yeah, let's, tor- you know, I'm, I'm pro-torturing fighter right. or whatever. You know, yeah. But, the, but that, what that does is that makes it more severe than some child abuse cases. Right. And it makes it more severe that you can, it makes it more severe than what's going on in like New York City, where you can kill a baby up until when it's born. Right. You know? And so we're not saying, now part of, I think part of the idea between, behind this law is that if, and it's, it's kind of telling actually, they say this, well, it's a stepping stone that if people who are cruel to animals will undoubtedly make that leap to treat humans the same way. Now, I want you to think about this. They're very quick to make the step from treating animals in a cruel way will lead people to treat humans in a cruel way. But what about treating humans in a cruel way before they're born? Right, right. Does that not lead to even worse understanding of life and end-of-life issues and all those things? Right. So so if they want to make that argument and make that step with animals, well, first of all, don't place animals above humans. Right. And by saying that, I'm not saying that I want you know, I, I think it's okay for people to be cruel to animals or any of those things. It's not what I'm saying. But when you view the animal as being more precious than humans. And the thing is, is that animals are of a lower moral value than human beings. Christ did not die for the animals. That doesn't mean that we should treat them unfairly, like you said, right? We're not advocating the abuse of animals. But the thing is, is that um, Christ didn't die for the animals. They are our responsibility, and we should take care of them. But yeah, it is that, that not... was the original charge he gave to Adam, wasn't it? Right, and that's the thing is like, but they're not us. Right, we should be caretakers of them. We should care for them, and we should have animal abuse laws. Right, for sure. But 
Well, but in, but in actually, a way that I, if you, you, you're treated, you know, and you're, say, you're younger and you treat an animal wrong and you get a felony, then you can't vote anymore. <laughs> right. You know. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, this is why, too, the gospel is so important, right? Because it actually does make you a better, it makes you into a perfect person, right? It makes you a saint. And it makes you want to not only treat other human beings better, but also God's creation, which he made for you and gave you command to rule over. So... All right. Well, you know what? I want to hear this again. (laughs) Men. Why is it that men know less theology than their fathers and grandfathers? It's time to man up America with the Clerical Errors Podcast. An all-natural theology booster can help you feel like the real men that made the church great. With this tea booster, you can feel more confident in the divine service or in Bible study. So what are you waiting for? Send your questions and comments and concerns to theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. That's theologybooster at clericalheirs.org. And fellas, she'll like the podcast too. These claims have not been verified by the CTCR of the LCMS. Please consult your pastor before using. If results are too intense, listen to a different podcast. Yeah! So now whenever I get bored, guess what I'm going to do? Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. We better keep it moving. All right. On that note, we have our attention deficit Bible study. Is that the... <coughs> so, Peter. Play, play the intro. <laughs> do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the impaired concentration Bible study. One verse, one verse only. Oh, uh, this music... Makes me happy. Indeed. Da, 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 da. All right. Obadiah, verse 8. All righty. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? What do you think? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> It's only one verse, man. <laughs> Read it. Read it one more time. <clears throat> I got this now. Verse 8. Eyes locked in. <laughs> Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? All right. What I get from that is God's wisdom and power will ultimately humiliate those who think that they are wiser or more powerful. Wouldn't you say, Berg? Yeah. Yep. And I think, too, like, in the Lutheran church, we often talk down reason, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Luther called it, like, the devil's horror and the devil's grandma and, you know, all these great (laughs) names like that, right? Uh, But we often forget, Uh, too— Vicar, don't call people that, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But— I don't care how mad you are. Don't call people that. Unless you're uh, uh, Martin Luther, (laughs) don't call people that. Okay, go ahead. Any— yeah, but we also forget about the other parts where he says, like, reason is the most divine thing on earth, right? Um, that having a mind, having reason, uh, is a very, very valuable thing for us. And he's going to take that away from the people of Edom, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to take away these people who are supposed to be wise and understanding and sensible, and um, they're going to be bereft of, you know. I mean, think about it. Think of how many times we have uh, parishioners who get Alzheimer's. Right. And they lose their reason. And they can't spell their name or put their clothes on, right? Mm-hmm. Or even go to the bathroom, right? 
you know? Um, they walk around with in diapers and that sort of, cause they've forgotten how to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, reason in its proper place is a great thing. But, uh, when God takes it away, right. When he makes people like Nebuchadnezzar, like, uh, um, beasts of the earth that mm-hmm. chew on the grass. I mean, that is a scary thing and we shouldn't talk that down at all. You know, and I think part of that is, you know, using reason and, and realizing that, uh, that, uh, it has its limits to human reason. Right. Because Esau, the Edomites, are using their reason against God. Yeah. Right? Which is definitely reason in its not proper sense. Right? Because every every age, every generation thinks, okay, now we're really getting it figured out. You know? Kind of like in the days where, uh, you know, we really got this medical stuff figured out. We're going to put leeches on people. Right. We're going to have bloodletting. We're gonna That's have, a great idea. You know? Because we have the, we have the, we, we know so much more now and, and every generation thinks, okay, we really know now we've really got it, Mm -hmm. but then they don't. And, and, and it's really easy for us nowadays to think, well, we've really got it now, but are we really any different? No. No. In fact, I think it's like what it was before the flood, right? Because you had huge strides forward scientifically, Mm -hmm. you know, these three brothers of, of Lamech who was the seventh from Cain, mm-hmm. uh, they invent awesome things. I mean, they're like the Steve Jobses and, you know, um, Bill Gateses of the ancient world, right? They mm-hmm. invent things like domesticated agriculture and, you know, musical instruments and all this stuff. And yet, what happens to them all? Sure, they were they were really good in this life, mm-hmm. but uh, they don't go to heaven, right? And, and ultimately, it was still limited. There, there's still some things they could do nothing about. right. And to this day, is as smart and as wise and as much as we rely on on reason and science. And by the way, people make so many absurd absurd claims and say, "Well, are you going to argue with science when there's no science to what they're saying?" That tries to be crazy, right? Well, and that's just scientism, right? That's not actually that's not real science, right? But they they think, okay, now we know the best. We know, but but they still can't answer to death. They still can't. They still can't explain how life got here, even if you believe that somehow in a mud puddle that a first cell came to be. Can you really explain that? I mean, we can't make a living cell. If we got all our scientists together and gave them all the chemicals and say, okay, we want you to make a living cell that can reproduce. Can they do that? No. No. But they say they... They can't even make... They can't hardly make the proteins, much less a a working cell. And so somehow we're supposed to believe that, oh yeah, they just all kind of were in the right place. You shake up the mud and somehow a living cell came from that. And no, you can't explain that. So, so just when people think, "Well, we're at the height of reason, we're at the height of understanding, we are so smart, and we're going to use that to even explain away God," they don't know. Huh, they don't even know what bathroom to use. That's right. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. I'm starting to lose, fo- lose focus. So, uh, that brings us to now confound the clerics. Awesome, Peter. Play the intro. Confound the clerics. All right, so I think this question comes from a relative of yours, Carla Albers Bullhagen. Uh, familiar, yes. Familiar, yeah. Okay. Um, she uh, says a lot of nice things about you uh, in she, here. She does. She She said, good thing you only had tea in the pickle jar. It could have been Kool-Aid. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but she asks, a, she asks a question at the end here. She says, can Satan be considered the Antichrist? So what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, well, 
I would say, um, based on scripture, first John, I believe it's four mm-hmm. where, um, where uh, uh, St. John warns against antichrists, right? That there are many antichrists, those who say that Jesus hasn't come in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the basis of Second Thessalonians 2, uh, that Satan cannot be considered the antichrist. Now, this is a really, really important question, by the way, because, um, you know, all of you guys have been reading like Rosemary's Baby and uh, <laughs> you've got that new uh, Amazon Prime uh, original series coming out, Good Omens. The book was awesome. It's by Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett. It's where an angel and a devil lose the Antichrist. Okay. And hilarity ensues. It's really funny, but it's not the place where you should really get your theology from. You know, and of course, the omen, omens, mm-hmm. right, with Damien, right? Uh, but the whole point here is is that Satan cannot be considered the Antichrist because the Antichrist is, uh, he works with the power of Satan, Right, but he himself is not Satan. And, and uh, is it Peter that mentions this? That that really that it, you find it with working within the church. Right, you find that in Second Thessalonians two. Okay. Right, that the man of lawlessness, uh, the man of sin, has existed from the time of Saint uh, of the time of the apostles, and the Antichrist will continue to exist until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This Antichrist, this preeminent opponent of Christ, will uh, be involved in the church. He will sit in the temple of God, which is the church. Uh, He will also um, do many signs and wonders, and he will bear the mystery of iniquity, okay? And he will cause many, many to fall away. Uh, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay. And so, who is this Antichrist? Well... He is not going to be like your little uh, um, devil, you know, with the horns and, you know, all red so you can see who he is right away, right? Right. Because um, that's not the mystery of iniquity, right? The The devil can't be the Antichrist because people see him coming. I mean, you could say he's like the Antichrist in the fact that he can disguise himself as an angel of light. But this power is in the church. And the Antichrist is... Someone who... Sp- claims to speak for Christ when they actually don't speak for Christ. Right. And they appear to be very high and pious and holy. And on on the other hand, they're actually teaching against Christ. They're teaching against his kingdom. And they actually claim to be God. Okay? Um, And we see this today in modern-day society. Yeah, one, one phrase that I use actually quite often when it comes to this, I actually may have used it on the podcast, before is the, the the phrase that uh, temptation is by nature tempting, right? Meaning that that when it comes to the antichrist, it comes in a way that's appealing, not just appealing to our flesh, but in a way that that appeals to our sensibilities, that appeals to okay, this actually is good and right and and helpful and loving, when it really isn't, right? So, thank you for the question. That is a very good question. If you yes. have any, if you have any other questions, <laughs> uh, please uh, let us know. Feedback at clericalheirs.org. dot org, and uh, and uh, let us know. And uh, so it uh, brings us to our sticky notes. We've got a few today. We do, <laughs> like this one. 
it's it's kind of like one time I uh, went to a contemporary worship service and the bass was going. I heard the bass because you hear live bass in a live band. Mm-hmm. I automatically get thirsty for beer because where do you hear live bass? It was weird. So I'm sitting in church and all of a sudden I hear the bass going, man, I could really use a beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> Or this one. It's 2019. I mean, get with the times, man. Right. And and all those things, they, they sound so... Vacuous. Vacuous. Vicar, what does vacuous mean? Uh, vacuous. Hmm. That kind of sounds like vacuum, so maybe it's like... It, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hollow. Uh, here we go. Off to a go. good start for you, Vicar. <laughs> it's the mead, man. <clears throat> Having or showing a lack of thought or intelligence. Mindless. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So there we go. I didn't have to say that, Vicar. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You're getting your uh, year-long tea booster this year. (laughs) 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 Or how about this one? Well, before we we, uh, we get into the next part, you know, I'm always thinking, what, what are some ways we can get the message out for our podcast? Why don't we uh, make a little bit of a commercial? I, w- I want to preview it with you. All right, here we go. Men. Why is it that men know less theology than their fathers and grandfathers? It's time to man up America with the Clerical Heirs Podcast. An all-natural theology booster can help you feel like the real man that made the church great. With this tea booster, you can feel more confident in the divine service or in Bible study. So what are you waiting for? Send your questions and comments and concerns to theologybooster at clericalerrors.org. That's theologybooster at clericalerrors.org. And fellas, she'll like the podcast too. These claims have not been verified by the CTCR of the LCMS. Please consult your pastor before using. If results are too intense, listen to a different podcast. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> How? How did you do that? that? That's awesome, man. That will get us listeners. We're really taking a manly turn in this podcast. Yeah, no doubt. Do you know what? I want to hear it again. Men. Why is it that men know less theology than fathers and grandfathers? It's time to man up America with the Clerical Heirs Podcast. And fellas, she'll like the podcast too. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our show. Um, let us know what you think. We're trying to get people involved. Tell a friend. Let, let's uh, really get the word out. I think we're having fun. And one thing I've noticed, Berg, about this is is we don't have a huge audience, but I'm finding that those who lo- listen to the show, they really like it. I, I'm, I think we're going to become a cult classic, just like our favorite movies. Yes, right. Because, you know, what I hear, what we get in emails is, Please keep doing this. <laughs> you know, I had someone mention to me that uh, that uh, when they listen, they download it, and they just listen to it like three or four times while they drive. <laughs> Holy buckets! So, so yeah, people who who listen to it really like it. So keep that up. <laughs> yeah, and, if, and if you're a, a family member of those who listen to it four or five, six, seven times, we apologize. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. May you have a wonderful tomorrow.
<laughs> Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Money we receive is invested back into the podcast and the surplus donated to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter at Clerical Heirs P for podcasts or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. There you can also find links to the things we talked about. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.